just in case you didn't already think or know that, that I'm a little bit of a nerd, you should know something about me that will remove all doubt from your mind. Uh, and that is that I really, really love polling data. What I mean by that is if you start a sentence with, hey, did you know that 39% of left-handed Americans believe that? And then whatever, I'm just riveted, okay? Like I cannot wait to hear what these left-handed Americans believe or think. Like I'm just, I love weird polling data. And I have a little collection of some just to kind of make your morning or depress you depending on how you look at them. 36% of Americans admit to yelling at a customer service agent in the past year, just in the past year, 36%. 27% of Americans believe that God determines the outcome of sporting events. That's over a quarter of Americans believe that God determines who wins games. 26% believe that, and this is Americans, believe that the sun orbits around the earth instead of the earth orbiting around the sun. And this is maybe the one that explains America the most, okay? At least in 2019, 14% of registered voters in America, okay? 14% of registered voters in America believe in Bigfoot, which explains, well, everything, right? <laughs> Those are depressing enough in their own way, but I came across some polling data that I thought was even more depressing in the past couple of weeks. Uh, there was this recent poll that asked specifically American churchgoers how often they read the Bible. Churchgoers, keep in mind, this is not random Americans, this is American churchgoers. And they asked how often you read the Bible. 19% said every day, 14% said once a week, 25% said a few times a week, another 22% or so said once or twice a month, and about 18% said rarely or never. Now, if you add it all up, the vast majority of people who attend church on Sundays do not open their Bible more than once a week outside of church services. In fact, it's about the same percentage that said, I read the Bible every day as the percentage that said, I rarely or never read the Bible. That is depressing poll data. I'm not going to conduct our own straw poll here, half because I don't want to put you guys on the spot and half because I'm not sure I want to know those numbers for us. I'm more interested in why these numbers are the way they are. Why aren't church-going people who make the effort to get up on a Sunday and stagger into a house most worship, why aren't they hungry for the Bible all week long? Well, I imagine most people would say, it's not that they don't want to read the Bible. It's just that they're so busy. They're so exhausted. And if I'm being honest, in most cases, I think that's absolute hogwash. We make time for what we really want to do, usually. If you haven't read your Bible this week, but you can tell me what happened in your favorite TV show, it's because you wanted to watch TV more than you wanted to read scriptures, right? I mean, there's no other conclusion to draw there. Most of us, if we truly wanted to, could make time for Bible reading if we wanted to. If we truly wanted to, and I know this might get me run out of town, if we wanted to, you could even set your alarm half an hour earlier than usual. I know that's a, that's a big ask. I understand. So all I can really assume 
knowing that we could make time for it if we truly, truly wanted to, all I can really assume is that for a lot of church-going Christian people, we just don't view reading the Bible as an indispensable part of our day. I think everyone in church likes the Bible, agrees that it's good to spend time with the Bible, but I'm just not convinced that everyone thinks that it's a vital part of their day or even a vital part of their faith. So with that in mind, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at the Bible. We're starting this new series and we're going to look at the Bible, which of course sounds like every sermon series ever, right? I mean, they should all look at the Bible, but what I want to look specifically at is what the Bible is, what the Bible isn't, and how we as Christians can and should be using the Bible to grow in our faith. So the goal is that maybe if we better understand what the Bible is, what it's useful for, and maybe even if we acknowledge some of the hurdles that we face when reading it in the year 2019, maybe we can reignite our passion for Scripture. First and foremost, so that there's no question today or in the weeks to come, I want to be clear about what we believe about the Bible, what I as your pastor believe about the Bible. And that is that I believe the Bible is the Word of God and it is valuable for all Christians. I fully affirm what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says when we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely I'm sorry, complete and equipped for every good work. So for us to grow into completeness in the eyes of God, for us to mature as Christians, we need the guidance of the scriptures. Now, it's difficult to know how to study and interpret scripture in 2019, though. There are a few characteristics, three that I'm going to single out of the Bible, that we don't often like to acknowledge, but are actually really important to be aware of if we're going to seriously study God's Word. These three characteristics are that the Bible is ancient, that it is often ambiguous, and that it is diverse. And all those, although those might sound negative, I would say they are actually not things that we have to, quote, deal with or overcome or overlook, but these are things that actually point us to how the Bible works. So I want to go over those really quickly. When I say that the Bible is ancient, I mean that it is written in a place and a time that we are largely unfamiliar with. We are about as close chronologically to Abraham as we are to the year 6000 AD in the future. So it's really, really, really long ago. And that's tough for us to bridge that gap. So on one level, when we read the Bible, one of our tasks is to bridge that distance. The biblical writers, they lived long ago and far away, asking questions that mattered to them, seeking answers to help them write where they were. Some may notice this and think that the Bible is locked forever in that moment and that it doesn't have much to do with us today, but that's absolutely not the case. The Bible's antiquity can be valuable because it reminds us of our need to actually ponder God anew in our here, in our now. It might actually take some creative imagination for us to bridge the gap between the ancient and modern worlds, but it's worth the effort. The Bible being ancient is not a problem. It's a wonderful characteristic that invites us to explore what the message of God is for us today in 2019. 
When I say that the Bible is ambiguous, I want to be careful and be really clear about what I mean and what I don't mean here. It may surprise a lot of Christians to find out the Bible doesn't very often seem interested in just clearly laying out everything that we should do or think, or at least it does that far less often than we are sometimes led to believe. Rather, when we read the Bible for spiritual guidance, which is a wise thing to do, by the way, we will find that we are usually left to work things out for ourselves at the end of the day, and that's by design. So what we will discover, and it's what we're going to talk about a little bit today because I think it's really important, is that the Bible usually is more interested in pointing us to a relationship with God that grows us in wisdom than it is with giving us a to-do list. And then finally, when I say the Bible is diverse, I mean that it speaks with many voices and in many different styles. We don't often talk about this aspect of the Bible, but we can go looking for some wisdom on a subject. And depending where we look in the Bible and where we end up in the Bible, we can arrive at some very different directions for our life. You see, the Bible had various writers who lived in different times and different places and under different circumstances and who wrote for different purposes. And just like us being born in our country today, their perception of God and even the world they lived in was shaped by who they were, when they were, where they were. So it's only natural that we would have different perspectives on topics within our collection of Holy Scripture. Once again, it's not a problem. It's not a bug. It's actually a feature. You ever wonder why we have a church board instead of just one guy making all the decisions? Why we have 10 or 12 people on a church board instead of one, two, or three? It's because there is immense value in having people utilize their different thought processes, their different perspectives, different people who are on the same team and working towards the same goals, but looking at things in different way. There is value in that. So the fact that the Bible is ancient, it's ambiguous, it's diverse, it's not negative, and it's not a problem. In fact, I'm pretty sure that God knows best what sort of sacred writing that we need. So then what is the Bible's true purpose? when we take seriously its characteristics. Simply put, and this is important, it's important throughout this series, the Bible's true purpose is to help us know God. Rather than providing for us information to just be downloaded, the Bible holds out for us an invitation to join an ancient and well-traveled and sacred quest to rightly know God, to rightly know the world we live in and our place in it. And I use the word quest there intentionally, meaning that it's going to take some time and effort on our part. The Bible is not some five easy steps to being godly pamphlet, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that the Bible doesn't provide us with any information to enlighten or inspire us or that it doesn't give us any answers to help us along the way. It absolutely does, and we'll look at that as we continue. But providing easy answers... And giving easy information or even an easy rule book to follow is not the Bible's true and main purpose. Think about it this way. If the Bible's main purpose were to provide us with rule book information about what God wants from us regarding certain issues, then why throughout history, why just even our own country's history, has the Bible been used to both justify slavery and support its abolition? here in America. 
Why has it been used to justify both keeping women subordinate to men and also giving them full status and equal rights? Why has it been used to justify violence against our enemies and also to condemn violence against our enemies? Both sides of all those issues and many others have been embraced by real people, sincere people convinced that what they are doing is simply following the Bible's clear teaching. And you can put clear teaching in big quotation marks there. I mean, this speaks a lot to the diversity and ambiguity of scripture that we spoke about a second ago. It seems to me that the Bible wasn't put together in order to work as a step-by-step instruction manual. Rather, it presents us with an invitation to explore and to seek godly wisdom for all the situations of our lives. And that word wisdom is one that I'm going to use a lot because I truly believe it's what God is wanting us to seek in his word. You know, wisdom seems like this high and mighty word, uh, something that only a few people attain. But when we look at scripture, what wisdom is, it's a gift from God that is available to all people. Uh, To put it in Christian terms, wisdom is what forms us to be from God. Christ, who as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, became wisdom from God. Now, pushing us towards the wisdom that forms us into disciples who are more Christ-like than they were before, even dragging us, kicking and screaming if need be, that is the Bible's purpose for us today. It's not some easy checklist of rules to abide by, although there are certainly biblical concepts that we govern our lives by. There's no question about that. But wisdom, on the other hand, is about the lifelong process of being formed into mature disciples, becoming more in tune to the Spirit of God at work in the world around us and in us, Using the Bible to grow in wisdom is not nearly as easy as trying to use it as this safe safe and stagnant rule book. See, rule book answers are distant and passive. Wisdom is intimate and only learned through experience. Rule book answers are immediate, but wisdom takes trial and error over time. Rule book answers are designed to end the journey, to end the search, but wisdom shapes us so that we journey with courage and peace. Rule book answers are limited to specific moments, but wisdom follows us in all times, in all places, in all situations. When we embrace rather than avoid the Bible's antiquity, ambiguity, diversity, we walk truly embrace the Bible as a book that pushes us towards the wisdom that can only be gained through walking with Christ. It also means that we accept the sacred responsibility to wrestle with scripture, to grapple with what it means for us, and to experience what it means to walk with the Savior daily. You see, God is not what we today call a helicopter parent. You know about helicopter parents, right? It's the parents who are constantly living their kids' lives for them, who make every decision, who supervise every waking moment, who allow zero input or autonomy from their child. But in the church, sometimes we look at God like he's a helicopter parent. We've been taught that the Bible is our daily instruction manual and that God is helicoptering over us to make sure we stick to it. And we've been told that if we read the instruction manual carefully, it will inform us clearly on any topic we might encounter. Climate change, parenting, finance, sexuality, gun control, evolution, political candidates, who to marry, whether to buy or rent, whether to go to college, where to go to college, what career path to take, what church to go to, and so on and so on. 
We expect God to be our helicopter parent who is constantly saying, no, don't do this, don't do this. Okay, now do this, now go here and you do this. No, not that, now over here. And I certainly feel the direction of God at times in my life, but it's not usually that simple or that forceful, even though, honestly, I be us sometimes. But God doesn't always do that because he wants to see us make the effort to pursue him, to look for ways to manifest godly wisdom in our lives, which can only be found by spending time in his word and getting to know this God through journeying with him. You see, if, if God were a helicopter parent, our sacred book would be full of clear, unambiguous information on every topic. It would be a list of information. It would be a list of policy positions is what it would be. But if the Bible's main focus is to form us, to grow us in Christian maturity, to teach us the responsibility of communing with the Spirit, walking the path of wisdom, then it's going to leave room for thinking. It's going to leave room for pondering, for debating, and even the freedom to fail at this from time to time. Throughout the Bible, God is not a, he's not a helicopter parent. Rather, he is a wise parent, prodding us towards spiritual maturity so that we can learn to navigate life in holy, righteous, and wise ways, which is what all good parents do. And I want to be clear that viewing the Bible as God's prodding for us to grow in wisdom is not an attempt to get out of doing what the Bible says, not at all. But adopting a wisdom mentality rather than a rule book mentality gives us a Bible that we need in its entirety, simply because we don't have the wisdom to live as God wants us to if we don't. Look at it this way. This is an example for you. Looking at the Bible primarily as a rule book is like a parent telling their child to, okay, don't hit your friends. Don't hit your friends. Now that's a good rule and one that should be followed, but it also kind of lets the kid off the hook if he's a smart kid because the kid could say, well, they didn't say, I couldn't kick my friend. He just said I couldn't hit my friend. Or they didn't say that I couldn't hit people who are not my friends. They just said not to hit my friends. But see, looking at the Bible for wisdom is hearing a parent tell their child, you know what, you need to be kind and thoughtful towards all other people. Well, there aren't any really specific rules there, are there? But now I can't hit or kick my friend or anyone else for that matter because I don't have this rule here to try to to shimmy around in my life. See, the Bible is not trying to give you a comprehensive list of do's and don'ts. It's trying to instill the wisdom in you to navigate your day as Christ would have you, using it as a guide to train yourself as you get to know God better, which is why it's ambiguous in parts. It's because giving you a one-size-fits-all answer is too easy and quite frankly, won't always fit every situation. The Bible is designed for wisdom because it reflects the wisdom of God, not despite its antiquity, ambiguity, and diversity, but by means of those things. Because it invites us to explore. It invites us to ponder. It invites us to think. It invites us to discuss. It invites us to debate. And in doing so, work out a life of faith. Now, I don't want to leave you this morning without showing you an example of what that looks like in practice, okay? Because I can tell you this, but I want to give you an example. I've been open with you guys about one of my big struggles is with Facebook, all right? Especially on Sunday mornings before I preach, but really all the time. 
because I read what people post on Facebook, even what some people in our church post on Facebook, and I get really, really worked up. And I'm just thinking, how in the world can a person sit under my teaching every week, say amen to what I say? How could they possibly think this and then be bold enough to write it out into the world for everyone to know forever? Now, I am not exactly a non-confrontational person. And so my inclination when I read somebody posting something stupid on Facebook is usually to type a paragraph shaming the person showing them point by point why they're an idiot. There should be a part the trees for wasting the oxygen they work so hard to produce. But the other part of me, the part that usually wins out, knows that there really isn't anything to be gained from that. It's just gonna get worse. Feelings are gonna get hurt. I'll have to make a fake apology that I didn't even really mean. I actually, <laughs> I had a little bit of a failure with this yesterday. Uh, I was on Facebook and I'm in a few Facebook groups for Nazarene pastors. And there's one in particular that uh, it's, it's a lot of older pastors in this group. And there's a lot of younger generation and young pastor bashing. Uh, there's a, that's, that's basically all it is. And usually I let it go. But yesterday I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I have a picture of here on the screen and I wanted you to see what I'm talking about. There was a, a post about, you know, all the young pastors, young people are the worst. And then there was this comment from this guy, Charles. He was replying to somebody else. He goes, that's the truth. Most younger pastors can't wait till the old people leave. It's a sad note. And then another one even said, you know, most young pastors are just waiting for their old people to die. I don't know if I was having a bad day, if I was tired or bored or what, but I did reply. Here's my reply. Charles. This is one of the most ridiculous, far-reaching, incorrect assumptions I have ever seen on Facebook, and that's saying something. Love, a younger pastor. <laughs> All right, so, <laughs> so I responded. I, I, I try not to. I usually don't. I was really passive-aggressive in the way that I responded. I don't know if he caught that or not. But as I look at that situation and the constant, I mean, it's every day I see something on Facebook I want to yell at somebody for. So what's the right thing to do there? How should Christians act when we see people saying awful things on Facebook? There aren't many verses in the Bible to tell us as Christians how to deal with other people, even other Christians on Facebook who espouse terribly unchristian or just plain old stupid views. What's the right thing to do? No, I really need to know what's the right thing to do. I know, maybe we should turn to Proverbs. That's a book of wisdom, right? Well, Proverbs, you're going to see in just a second, is actually going to make pretty obvious that seeking wisdom rather than grabbing for simple answers is what maturing in faith and reading the Bible is all about. So I turn to Proverbs to know how do I handle fools on Facebook? So first I go to Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Okay, I got it. Don't sink to their level. Don't engage. I should just let them be idiots and go about my business. Okay, I know I'm going to get pulled down with them and look like an idiot too. I failed yesterday, but okay, I know the right thing to do now is to never answer fools. Well, that was 26.4 in Proverbs. What's the very next verse? Proverbs 26.5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. 
What? I mean, great. So how do we handle fools on Facebook? Proverbs says clearly, don't answer them. You'll just get dragged down with them. Or on second thought, maybe do answer them because they need to know they're wrong. Definitely don't answer this fool. Oh, wait, definitely do answer. <laughs> Thank you, Proverbs, for this very clear answer to all my problems. Here's the thing, though. These verses sum up not only how Proverbs works, but how the entire Bible works. So here's my point. These two clearly contradictory Proverbs, as far as the advice they give, are not a problem that needs fixing. The biblical writers, they weren't idiots. Putting these two opposite sayings right next to each other, it wasn't an accident. It actually gives us a great snapshot of how wisdom works. It seems to me that whoever composed this book and put those two verses next to each other was saying that if we're looking for the Bible to be a simple wisdom, not only will we be frustrated, but we will miss the wisdom that this pairing of two different verses offers us. See, both of these things are wise. Both of them could be true and either one might be best sometimes, depending on the situation. And which one we should act upon at a given moment depends on which one fits the situation best. How do we know which verse fits the situation best? And now we're back to wisdom. The ability to read an unplanned, unscripted situation in our lives and then determine the righteous course of action regardless of whether or not there is a single specific Bible verse about it. That's what wisdom is all about. And it's also what a life of faith is all about. Sometimes it's best to answer a fool and sometimes not. The, the point is that Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, they don't tell us what to do. They, it wasn't designed to do that for us. But it does model something even better. The permission for us to think it through, to figure it out, and to even learn from experience for next time if that's what we need. In fact, it doesn't just give us permission to think it through. It demands that we think it through. I want to make one last thing clear, and this is the glue that holds everything. These Proverbs, the Bible as a whole, they aren't demanding that we use our earthly wisdom to determine whether or not to answer fools or to do or not do any other thing. It's not our earthly wisdom that we're meant to, to lean on. They are demanding that we familiarize ourselves with the entire scripture so thoroughly that we can make informed and righteous decisions all throughout our day. If we do not meditate on the word, if we do not spend time in the word, if we do not do our absolute best to study it and know it, then we cannot possibly be equipped with the wisdom to make the right choices in our day. The Bible doesn't want to be a strict rule book because to do so would mean that it doesn't have much to say for some very modern problems. Think about the things coming down the pipe for us, just with our technological and scientific breakthroughs and discoveries. We've got issues like genetic, uh, genetic modification and designer babies and being able to dictate kind of our offspring. We've got all these huge things coming down that we are not able to do. And there's not a single Bible verse that tells us yes to this, no to this, no to that. It doesn't tell us what to do on Facebook. There's no verse for Facebook on, on, uh, in the Bible other than maybe Jesus wept. 
There is no passage that tells us how we handle somebody cutting us off in traffic. Bible wasn't interested in that. So it doesn't want to be a rule book because if we just make it a rule book, it doesn't have something to say for a good bit of our lives. But on the other hand, and thank God for this, it leads us to better know the mind, personality, and will of God himself. That's what the Bible is trying to do. And that causes us to grow in the kind of godly spiritual wisdom that can inform the decision-making in our own lives any year, in any place. You see, we have to be familiar enough with the Bible that we see the trajectory of the entire Bible as a whole rather than remain a people who are only capable of holding up one verse and trying to figure out what it means today. Single verses can be manipulated to say whatever I want them to say. But if you've spent time in the Word so that you know the overall themes and message of God, you can't be tripped up by someone like me having a bad use of a single verse or passage. You've walked with God too long to be fooled by that. And you've accumulated enough wisdom to know how God would direct you on any given topic. The bottom line is that the purpose of the Bible is not for you to take your scissors to a specific passage, cut it out, remove it, and hold it up as the be-all, end-all rule as if it exists all by itself and without the context of the entire rest of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to use that passage and all the rest of them as well to show us who God is. Because when the Bible shows us more clearly about who God is, it then leads us to grow in both holiness and godly wisdom to transcend laws and rules. But if we're limited and bound to specific biblical laws and rules, then the Bible becomes less relevant to us as we get further and further away from its time and culture. If we're limited and bound to specific biblical laws and rules, we're going to have lots of info on what's a good number of sheep for a dad to offer a man who wants to marry his daughter. But we're not going to have much to add to the conversation about genetic modification or gene therapy or cloning or social media or a million other modern problems that aren't mentioned specifically in the Bible. But if instead of using the Bible as a rule book, we use it as a collection of scriptures that just wants to show us who God is, then we get to know this God really well over time and we grow in wisdom during that process. And now that godly wisdom directs us in all of our modern problems, even if there isn't a rule in Leviticus about it. Isn't that better? Isn't that a Bible that speaks to us today just as we did all those millennia ago? I think it is. I think it's a Bible that speaks to us at every moment in our lives. I'm going to stop there today because I want to leave some things for our small groups to dive into. I really think we're going to have some great conversations about the Bible and what it is and how we use it over the next few weeks. And I want to allow them some space to, to talk about some issues as well. But I do want you to remember that the Bible is not meant to be your personal rule book. The Bible is meant to point you to God, to show you how to be in better relationship with Him so that His wisdom can grow in your life and that you can make the right decisions, rules or no rules. If you will, stand up and let's close in prayer.